Hello everyone, I'm Marianne Toghill from Clifford Chance where I head up our UK real estate construction practice. I'm here today with two of my clients from Battersea Power Station Development Company, namely Carla Cummings and Ian Miller. Carla is an alumni of Clifford Chance and is now legal director overseeing the construction infrastructure legal team at Battersea Power Station Development Company. She joined Battersea in 2014 after nearly four years in Clifford Chance's construction group in London and prior to that three and a half years at Mallison's in Australia. Ian is a senior construction lawyer at Battersea Power Station Development Company. Ian joined in 2016 from the construction group at Burnis Pool in Scotland. My team at Clifford Chance have worked with Battersea since the start. Our first instruction was back in 2012 when we successfully pitched to advise on the phase one construction contract with, as it turns out, the sadly ill-fated Carillion. More on that later. We've since advised on construction aspects of phases two and three. So thanks very much Carla and Ian for coming in today. Battersea is one of those projects that's often in the national news and passes the taxi driver test in terms of general interest. In other words, when I'm on my way to a meeting with you at Battersea, the taxi driver always asks me, what's happening at Battersea? In the 30 years or so since the power station was decommissioned, developers have come and gone, with plans for everything from a giant amusement park to a football stadium. Battersea Power Station Development Company, with funding from the Malaysian shareholders, have actually achieved what many thought was an impossible task. The site is one of the largest mixed-use urban regeneration projects in Europe, with the first phase of 850 apartments complete and occupied. So my first question to you both is, how are things going at the moment with the development generally? Thanks, Marianne. There's a great buzz on site at the moment because the first phase of the development opened last year, 2017. Uh, that means for us personally, we are now working in a brand new office. Uh, it also means that we have over 850 apartments on site uh, in occupation uh, and also a number of restaurants available for residents, for ourselves as, as office workers and also for a large number of visitors to the site to enjoy. Uh, the Thames Clipper uh, launched their service to Battersea Power Station last year as well, which means it's a quick trip into London for those who want to visit the power station or those who are heading out for a night in the city. Yes, Marianne, and on the, uh, on the live construction front, um, there's been a change in recent years, uh, both on phases two and three, uh, from design and build procurement to construction management. Um, specifically on phase two, um, we've changed from design and build with Skanska uh, to construction management with MACE. Um, and I think that transition, which we carried out um, predominantly like last summer, um, has been, you know, it's been carried out pretty successfully. Um, and we've managed to do that without losing time um, and also without any impact on health and safety on site, which has been a massive success for, for the team. Um, and I think particularly all credit to, uh, to Skanska in that regard, um, the outgoing contractor on, on phase two for their work in, in uh, supporting that orderly transition. My next question to you both relates to phase one. It must have been an amazing day when your first pioneer residents moved in to what's now known as Circus West Village. 
Who would have thought then that the builder of phase one, Carillion, would go bust? It all happened so quickly and it must have been a huge shock. What issues did you have to deal with that day and how have matters transpired now? It was, it was a very big shock for us all, actually, at Battersea Power Station. Uh, it happened in, in January 2018. Um, we had uh, heard of profit warnings during 2017, but when the news actually broke that Monday morning, very early at 6am, uh, it was very much all hands on deck. Uh, from a practical point of view, the development was incredibly lucky. Um, we are substantially complete... Uh, so uh, we do count ourselves very fortunate that Carillion was able to deliver such a good good product up until that point. Um, but on the 15th of January, it did mean that people did start leaving the site. Contractors were leaving. Uh, they were taking their tools with them. And there were also some urgent uh, aspects of the site that we needed to secure and make sure everything was fine from a health and safety perspective. Uh, in the legal team, uh, it was really a matter of reminding everyone what our security package was with Carillion uh, and also uh, setting any engagements with the supply chain, uh, which is continuing. Um, we're, we're obviously uh, keen to have people back who have previously worked on the site. We just have to make sure that that's the most appropriate way forward for us now. Um, it may seem like a bit of a strange question next, but are there any good news angles from the Carillion insolvency? Uh, to be honest, we're not, uh, there, there aren't really too many um, good news angles for us um, or our supply chain. Uh, we're, we're very sad to see such a large contractor uh, in this situation. Um, we were very impressed with what they'd delivered before they became insolvent on phase one, and so we're thankful for that. Um, but otherwise, it's, it's not really a good situation for anyone in the market to see such a large contractor fail. Uh, the supply chain members um, generally have been quite cooperative in making contact with us and equally responding to our, our communication requests. However, uh, it's not always easy to um, engage people on the right commercial terms for both us and for the supply chain. The decision by Apple to make phase two its new European headquarters was widely seen in the press as a huge coup for Battersea and a boost for London post-Brexit. How have you balanced Apple's requirements with the constraints of a much loved listed building and London landmark? I think, as you say, Marianne, um, it has been a huge boost for the development. I mean, what developer would not wish to have a corporation such as Apple in occupation of the building? Um, the power station is a unique proposition for commercial occupiers, um, and I think that Apple's emphasis on quality, particularly from a design perspective, uh, makes them an ideal fit for the power station, um, and I think we're all very excited about them coming on board with the development generally. In terms of the, the recent changes which have taken place on Phase 2, it's public knowledge that the, the deal with Apple was done in the context of DMB procurement, and the change to construction management has necessitated some changes uh, just to reflect that shift in procurement. Uh, however, I think if you look across the London market generally at the moment, certainly for schemes of this scale and complexity, uh, the logic for CM procurement becomes, frankly, irresistible, uh, and I think our shareholders unquestionably made the right move uh, to make the decision when they did. Phase 3 is very complicated from an engineering perspective, as it sits right above the station box of the new Northern Line extension to Battersea, currently being built by Transport for London. 
How are you managing the legal interface risk? Uh, so, Marianne, at, at this stage, uh, uh, Transport for London and their Northern Line Extension work has they have possession of the site uh, where they're carrying out their station work uh, plus the installation of the new networks. Um, so at the moment we very much have a, a fence between works going on for us on phase three and works that TFL are carrying out. Uh, so, so the team, the project team really is managing that on a practical level uh, and when, when it's time for us to get involved, uh, the legal aspects for the rest of the phase three development on top of the box, we'll, we'll be looking at those then. In its heyday, Battersea Power Station burnt coal to supply London with electricity. How will the future energy requirement of the project be met and what legal issues arise? It's a great question, Marianne. Uh, I can confirm that the shareholders don't have any intention of turning Battersea Power Station back into a power generating facility again. Uh, however, we are committed uh, to delivering a district heating and cooling system to all residential apartments, commercial office space and retail units on the site. Uh, this is consistent with the Greater London Authority's plan to achieve 25% of decentralised heating by 2025 and we're proud to be a development that is a part of that. What are your plans for the future phases of the project? And have they, been, have they been impacted by Brexit concerns at all? I think it's a really interesting question, Marianne. We think Brexit and general economic circumstances weigh heavy on the minds of all developers at this time. Um, any mixed-use property development scheme, certainly, that will run for the period that Battersea will run, uh, will inevitably have to deal with an element of market uncertainty and volatility, and that's just a fact of life. Um, however, I think our development team uh, keep the master plan for the wider project under constant review. Um, and that's just really to ensure that what we refer to as the SWIM, the, the site-wide mix, that reflects as accurately as any developer can um, the, de the demand and indeed the anticipated demand in the market at any given time. Uh, and that approach also allows our team to be responsive. You know, for example, we can increase or decrease the amount of residential and or office space on future phases just to reflect what demand is likely to be or what we anticipate that future demand will be likely to be at a given point in the future. We've all seen the reports in the press about the super luxury apartments of Battersea and celebrity buyers such as Sting and Bear Grylls. But what are you providing in terms of affordable housing and what construction legal issues arise? We can't comment too much on the specifics of any high profile residents who may or may not be taking occupation at Battersea, uh, but we, we, can, uh, we can talk quite a lot about the affordable housing commitment um, that, that Battersea is determined to make to Wandsworth. Uh, the first stage of that includes development uh, at our site called four, Phase 4A, uh, and that will include 386 apartments from the get-go. Uh, from uh, I think one beds right up to th uh, three bed apartments uh, plus an NHS medical centre. For my final question, I must ask you about your resident peregrine falcons. I remember being told in hushed tones by one of the builders on my very first site visit that I must walk quietly around the nest site at the base of one of the chimneys. I know you've gone to huge efforts to protect the peregrines. Any sign of a nest yet for this spring? 
Well, of course, Marianne, uh, the Falcons are famously our first residential occupiers of the site um, in its current manifestation. Um, they occupy a box at the top of a tower crane mast in the northeast corner of the site. Um, and the, the Falcons are actually very well looked after by our resident birdman, David Morrison. Um, you're more than welcome to come down to Circus West and enjoy some of our bars and restaurants. Uh, and, you know, you might even catch a glimpse of the, the fledglings. OK, well, I think that's sadly all we've got time for today. Thank you very much for taking the time to answer my questions and for coming in. Thanks. Thanks, Marianne. Thanks, Marianne.